Today we'll be continuing our study in the book of Proverbs, uh, specifically chapter 6, uh, verse 1 through 19. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. And I want to begin uh, by mentioning that this passage, as you, look at it, as you look at it and as we read it together, uh, it deals with very specific yet practical issues that if you just read it alone, it may seem like, like a self-help kind of teaching. Um, and I, uh, it, you'll, you'll see in the handouts that I divided the lesson in three key points, which is pulled out from the passage. Point number one is avoid becoming a pledge for someone else's debts. Number two is avoid becoming lazy. And number three is avoid the company of a perverse man. And so with titles like that, it can be easy to take it as a lesson on morality and self-help. Uh, even though morals have their place in the Christian life, it's important that we don't lose sight of Christ in the midst of all of it. And of course, our uh, inability to, to walk in these, these uh, commands and, and this counsel perfectly. Um, these are things that help us to understand what it means to be a Christian and how to live uh, in harmony with God's perspective, what, what God commands, what God uh, communicates to us as wisdom and righteousness. And so uh, we, we have to keep all that in scope. Um, so let's go ahead and look at the passage. Uh, we're looking at Proverbs 6, 1 through 19. Can I get a volunteer to read it? My son, you have put up security for your neighbor. You have given your pledge for a stranger. You are snared in the words of your mouth, caught in the words of your mouth. And do this, my son, and save yourself. For you have come into the hand of your neighbor. Go hasten and plead urgently with your neighbor. Give your eyes no sleep and your eyelids no slumber. Save yourself like a gazelle from the hand of a hunter, like a bird from the hand of a fowler. Go to the ant, O slugger, consider his ways, consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, he prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O slugger? Then will you arise when will you arise from your sleep? Take a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you. And want like an armed man, a worthless person, a wicked man, goes about with crooked speech, winks with his eyes, signals with his feet, points with his finger, with perverted heart devises evil, continually sowing discord. Therefore, calamity will come upon him suddenly, and a moment he will be broken beyond healing. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, a hand, Hands that shed blood, shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord in the Thank you. Now, uh, as I mentioned before, uh, there's three key themes there. Uh, the first one, avoiding becoming a pledge for someone else's debts. Okay. Uh, the second one, avoid becoming lazy. And the third one, avoid the company of a perverse man. Let's look at the first point. Uh, the first one you see there on your handout is avoid becoming a pledge 
for someone else's debt. Now, verse, verse 1 warns us not to put up security for our neighbor. Uh, we are being warned not to pledge ourselves as surety. Uh, surety is, uh, you think of, uh, when you think of uh, obtaining a loan, uh, that's, that's sort of uh, an example of, of surety. I mean, this can be a broad category where uh, you, can, you can probably include other things that are not uh, money specifically. But again, surety means becoming legally liable for the debts or defaults of another person. Uh, by becoming surety, you are legally obligated or obligating yourself to pay the debt if that other person proves himself unable or willing to do so. I work at the uh, DMV, and uh, one of the things that I've noticed in my job is that oftentimes you'll get uh, a mother of a child or a mother of a son or daughter who uh, signed to become like the co-owner or the co-signer of a vehicle. And, you know, she, she comes in and she, she comes to the clerk who's sitting there and she says, I'm here because I want to remove myself from this vehicle. My son or my daughter is running tickets. Uh, they're doing all kinds of things and they're arriving at my house. And so she's receiving all the bills for it. Or something happens where uh, the son or daughter is not paying the debt that's owed to finish, uh, or the, the debt that's owed monthly on a vehicle that they're financing. And, you know, the the poor woman comes and she wants nothing to do with this, this, uh, this loan or this debt. And we have to break the bad news to her. And we have to tell her, listen, the, the day that you signed that contract and put yourself as a uh, co-signer, was, uh, you were agreeing basically to take on the debt if the other person doesn't uh, pay their due. And so it's always hard to tell them that, you know. Um, but that's just an example of being legally obligated to pay the debt if that other person proves himself unwilling or unable to, to continue those payments. Now, if you ever allow yourself to become surety, you're allowing yourself to become trapped by the words of your mouth, which is what you see there in verse 2. And by the vow of the commitment you have taken, whereby you've pledged yourself to be responsible for the other person's debts, you also see what you see there in verse 3. You have fallen into your neighbor's hand. Uh, I gave an example of a son and daughter, or uh, I'm sorry, uh, a mother and daughter, a mother and son uh, relationship. But oftentimes this scenario happens with friends or neighbors. Uh, and again, by the vow of commitment you have taken there, uh, you have pledged yourself to, to be responsible for the other person's debts. You have what you see there in verse 3. You have fallen into your neighbor's hand. You have subjected yourself to him and placed yourself in a bondage to him by obligating yourself to be accountable for his financial responsibilities. Now, this is what the scripture says about the man who allows himself to be a surety for another. Uh, I'm going to read Proverbs 11.15 here. You don't have to turn to it. You can hear me or write them down if, if you don't want to be flipping around, but... Uh, Proverbs 11.15 says, He who puts up security for a stranger will suffer for it. But whoever hates shaking hands in pledge is secure. That's what it says in Proverbs 11.15.
Whoever hates shaking hands in pledge is secure. Another way of saying that is uh, the more you hate contracts or deals or having to seal something with your word or a pact that you make, if you hate that kind of thing, if you stay away from it, you're, you're more likely going to be secure from this issue that we're dealing with today. Once again, to put up security literally means to be surety, to be in bondage to some degree. Uh, Proverbs 17, 18 is another verse. It says, a man who lacks sense, a man who lacks sense, shakes hands in pledge and puts up security in the presence of his neighbor. So that's uh, Proverbs 17, verse 18. A man who lacks sense shakes hands in pledge. Yes. <laughs> and, and Jesus said, promise me that you will never do this. Yeah. And we were young, so we did. Yeah. And um, I can't tell you the number of people that have come to me throughout my life and asked me to do this. Mm. And I've been so thankful to be like, oh, I promised my father I'm sorry. Yeah. Oh, good. But, <laughs> but, you know, like, you know, if they're really in need, I said, but I can give you this money. Right. So, like, I can't loan you money, but, you know, I'd be happy to give you yeah. what I can. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that, that promise has been, like, a blanket of security. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so often you, you feel the upstream. Yeah. You, know, you want to help. Yeah. But to be able to have that. Yeah. It's been, like, yeah. You know, I, had, I, I just was able to avoid peer pressure. Yes. Yeah, that, that, that's great. So yeah. you aside from <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. You, you also see, uh, even in the New Testament, um, just the, this command of, of giving rather than just uh, lending and then expecting someone to owe you something back. Uh, giving seems to be a way to, to free yourself from that. Excellent. Yeah. Um, another verse, Proverbs 22. Verses 26 through 27. It says, Do not be one of those who shakes hands in pledge and puts up security for debts. If you lack the means to pay, your very bed will be taken away from under you. Yeah. So what counsel does Scripture give? Well, You see, going back to our main text, you see verses 3 and 4. It says, Now, my son, do this and deliver yourself, seeing that you have fallen into your neighbor's hand. Go, humble yourself and persistently plead with your neighbor. It even goes goes as far as to say here in verse 4, Allow no sleep from your eyes, no slumber from your eyelids. This is basically saying, you know, don't sleep. Go and plead with your neighbor. Free yourself from this uh, surety. There's a note of urgency, right? Act now. Take no rest until you have done all you can to deliver yourself from being surety. There's the counsel of persistently pleading with your neighbor that you see there. 
that is to say, approach him with an urgent persistent, even to the point of imposing upon him, right? Soliciting him to release you from the suretyship. Uh, as an example of that kind of persistent pleading, you see this in uh, Luke 18, uh, 2 through 5. I was just thinking about uh, this, this parable. Uh, I'll read it. This is Jesus' parable uh, that he, he, uh, he, he tells you how to pray here uh, and what persistence looks like. Uh, Luke 18, 2 through 5 says, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor had any regard for men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, Even though I do not fear God and have any regard for men, yet this widow keeps bothering me. I will, I will see that she gets justice so that she will not eventually wear me out with her continual coming. <laughs> now, this is kind of off topic, but you see that sort of persistence there. Uh, and Jesus is giving this example. And the, in the context of that parable, it's really about prayer. Uh, praying to God persistently. Uh, and, and, and God would be happy to grant you what you need and what, what you desire, of course, when it's in line with, with his will. But that, that example from our Lord about persistence, I think it helps us to see what persistence looks like and how in the Proverbs, the passage that we're reading, where the father's telling the son, go, persist, don't sleep, beg, cry, weep, do what you got to do, humble yourself and, rele- and, and see how you can get yourself out of this uh, surety bond that you've created with this, with this person, this business deal that you've created with this person, where you're going to inherit this debt. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we got to keep praying for that one, <laughs> persisting. It should be though. He asked about the uh, Department of Motor Vehicles if we can persist with them. They're a little hard-headed, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, but since this is being recorded, they're excellent. Um, the, the DMV is excellent and I'm, I'm happy to work for them um, uh, it, so moving on the counsel the counsel that the father is giving to the son is to humble yourself for the sake of your future and your well-being forget your pride in other words go make a fool out of yourself release yourself from this, this uh, surety uh, if necessary and if it will be of any help, he counsels him to plead with your neighbor and even beg him to release you from that obligation. Uh, don't delay and don't rest until you have done all that you can to basically extract yourself from that situation that you put yourself in. Now the father continues his counsel, and he, he says to his son in verse 5 there, Free yourself like a gazelle from the, hand of, uh, from the hand of the hunter and like a bird from the hand of the fowler. So, again, it's recognize that your life is at stake here, son. Your whole future, your well-being. And that of your family, right? If you have a family and, uh, you know, in many cases, one of the partners in the family or in the, uh, in the marriage, you know, finds himself in a situation and they, they, they put the whole family in a really bad financial situation because uh, maybe one of them uh, was too quick to make a deal like that. 
And so this could be a case for the son here. Now, what is the message of this passage? You know, what's the point? And uh, you have to appreciate exactly what you're doing and what you're getting into, right? When you allow yourself to become surety for someone else, uh, you must be very sensible to the seriousness of your actions, especially when there's a lot at stake, uh, you know, when you're considering finances. This passage is not saying surety ship is wrong in and of itself. It's just a simple warning uh, that this is something that can be very dangerous. Uh, and I think a lot of people come in to, let me take that back, a lot of people come with the mentality of uh, getting themselves into all kinds of webs financially, all kinds of webs contractually, uh, placing themselves as basically slaves to all these institutions and all these individuals. Um, it puts their life in, in danger. Uh, again, this passage is not saying that sure, surety ship is wrong. It's just simply warning us of the dangers of it. And note that the Apostle Paul allowed himself, in fact, to be surety uh, in, in a certain scenario. I don't know if you all remember about the situation with, with the slave Onesimus. Uh, if, I'm going I'm to read uh, Philemon 18 through 19. It says, if he has done you any wrong, this is Paul speaking to him. If he, has done, if, if he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. That's what Paul's saying. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back. So now you have a, yeah, now you have a verse in the New Testament that's, that uh, almost exemplifies exactly the opposite of what is being warned. Um, and... There, in a real sense, there is gospel implication there that doesn't take away from the danger of being a surety in a financial situation. Uh, it doesn't take away from the dangers of that. But you see, in a sense, Paul risking his life in that situation, proving his love uh, to this situation and saying, you know what, uh, if he has done anything to you or owes you anything he's speaking to the slave owner, you know, uh, he, he's basically saying, take him back, don't punish him. If he owes you anything, I'll pay it. But he's, he's, uh, he's promoting reconciliation between two parties, and he's willing to take on the debt. And that's what's happening there in the New Testament. Um, and, and so there is, there's gospel picture there, right? But it doesn't take away from the danger and the severity of... Uh, getting involved like that in, in that sort of situation. The warning still stands, right? Don't be foolish. Don't be quick to, to, to uh, be that person, be that surety that covers debt that way. You can put yourself in a bad situation. Uh, the Lord Jesus himself made himself surety for us, right? And that's where we see the gospel connection there. Jesus has become the surety of a better covenant. We see that in Hebrews 7, 22. Now, when you are approached with the prospect of becoming surety for someone, remember that you're putting your life in the line, your future, your well-being for the family. Think very carefully and pray very diligently before obligating yourself to such a course of action and commitment. And in summary, you can't, be, you, you can't naively allow yourself to become surety in a casual way. Yes, brother? What uh, passage? Yeah, it is Hebrews 7.22. 
Thank you. Yep. Um, again, uh, you don't want to naively allow yourself to become surety in a casual way. Um, this is not something you want to do as a, as a desperate attempt to win friends. You know, sometimes you take, you take upon a lot of things just so that you can uh, people please or you can be, you can, you know, gain friends, that sort of thing to win people over. And this is not something you want to be pressured into by a plea for sympathy. You, you know, in every scenario that you find yourself as a Christian, you want to remain sober-minded. And again, going back to peer pressure and things like that, when people pressure you to make decisions that, that have long-term consequences, a Christian must remain sober-minded. You know, there's no need for you to move so urgently. A lot of times the pressure of the world wants you to move and be hasty. A Christian is one who considers his speech, considers his actions. You, you take that moment, even if it bothers them, like, why are you thinking about it too much? You know, as a Christian, you, you ought to take your time when it comes to speaking, take your time when it comes to thinking, and especially in this case, before you sign, sign the dotted line. Yeah. Well, you bring up a good point that sometimes what they need is not that. You know, sometimes they need that counsel. They need to consider all other things that, that is causing them to need that, that money or they need that financial help. Um, yeah, good, good point. Yeah. I was thinking about in the New Testament, you see that, that principle, even God gives commands to Israel. Mm-hmm. He makes room for Israel, for the Israelites to be able to sell their land. such a great point. That's excellent insight. I, I think uh, that, that perfectly displays God's perspective on, on this whole thing. And uh, I think, it, I think one, of the, one of the reasons why God placed Sabbaths and limits where you, you couldn't just do things in excess was to prove that he's Lord, he's provider, not you. you you're not the ultimate debt uh, satisfier, I guess. He's the one that uh, ultimately does all that and rules over all that and is sovereign over all that. So that, that's helpful. That's very good. Excellent. Um, again, so uh, we, we have to be careful with uh, those kinds of situations as, as Christians. Let's look at uh, point number two. Point number two on the handout says, avoid becoming lazy. Uh, it seems like we're shifting topics here, but this is all counsel from the Father to the Son. Let's read uh, verses 6 through 11, specifically 6 through 11. Can someone read that out loud? Thanks, brother. Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief officer or ruler, 
She prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, so the father is now directing the son who's been receiving wisdom throughout uh, all, everything that we've been covering. And he's di- redirecting him to this issue of laziness, right? And he begins his speech by telling, by telling him to observe the ant, right? That's the first, first thing you see there in verse 6. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Now, uh, before I get into specifics about ants and stuff, and stuff like that, uh, I, I think it's important to f- uh, point out a few things. Proverbs, throughout the whole book of Proverbs, you see this intolerance of laziness. So this is not the only passage that you're going to see that deals with this issue of, of laziness. The, uh, the, the general opinion, not even opinion, but the general pushback and um, intolerance uh, of, of laziness is, is all over the place in Proverbs. Uh, in fact, the amount, Proverbs, the amount of Proverbs that deal with this topic of laziness is actually very surprising. It's a lot. You see it as a reoccurring issue that, that wisdom is, is uh, pushing against. And even the images used in the Proverbs as a parody against lazy people really stand out. And you, you'll notice them. I'll give you an example. And this one I think you should turn to. It's Proverbs 26. Verses 13 through 16. Proverbs 26, 13 through 16. Listen to the sarcasm that's there. It says, the sluggard says, there's a line in the road. There's a line in the streets. And as a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on his bed. Let me stop there. Think about a door <laughs> on its hinges. It just opens, but then it just returns right back. Like a person who comes out, says a couple of comments, and comes back to, goes back to bed. You know, it, there's this impression that you get of, of like usefulness, I mean, uh, uselessness. Um, but again, it says, as the door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on his bed. In verse 15, the sluggard buries his hand in the dish. It wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. <laughs> so even when it comes to eating, he's like, he picks it up and he's like, oh, it's so far that my hand is working so hard to bring the food to my mouth. I'm so lazy. Uh, it, it, that's, the, that's sort of the sarcasm that you get from here, just showing how silly and how ridiculous um, a, a lazy person looks like from the outside. And then 16 says, the sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. So think of a person answering sensibly, a person who, who's able to answer sincerely and faithfully and doesn't even realize it, but they just answer questions and they're, they're sharp-minded. But the sluggard thinks he's wise He's, and it says here, the sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. Um, and, and so again, you look at a, a passage like that, and you see the, 
sarcasm there. You see how Proverbs looks at uh, lazy people. Now, because it takes effort to make it in this world, any wise counsel will always be concerned with this fight against laziness. You know, anytime we give counsel to someone, I, 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 you know, we deal with this often where when you are trying to help a brother or sister in Christ to learn how to have certain disciplines in order, you know, for spiritual growth, like, you know, uh, try reading in the morning or try reading maybe in the afternoon, reading your word or praying at this time. There's always the presence of having to deal with laziness, right? That's always before us. Uh, anything that we do or, or say to someone when we counsel them, there's always this need to say, okay, I know this may be a time when you're really tired or I know you have a lot on your plate. It, there's always this, uh, this need to address this issue of being a slugger. And, and, and this is the, the reason for that is because we all, to some degree, struggle against this, right? And the book of Proverbs recognizes a number of ways in which a, a person grows wise. And I'm going to tell you, uh, well, I'll say this, the way that uh, Proverbs recognizes a wise person is through these means, right? They include instruction, a wise person receives instruction, uh, a wise person learns from his mistakes, and you see examples of that in the Proverbs. Uh, most importantly, the wise person receives uh, the revelation from God, right? God's word should inform the person in order for him to be wise. So ways that we uh, gain wisdom is through instruction, learning mistakes, the revelation from God, which we have in Scripture. However, in the same wisdom tradition that we have from the Proverbs, Proverbs also recognizes this practice of observation, right? Observing things. Uh, and if you want to be wise, uh, you see in Proverbs that one of the ways that you become wise is observing, right? And uh, an observation, you see observation in relation to laziness and observation uh, when it talks about patterns of the immor immortal, uh, immoral woman, right? The adulterous woman. Uh, consider her ways, all right, it, it, talks, it tells us how to observe uh, and, and why it's important to observe these things. And so a wise person is one that has been observant of life. Now, uh, and this is why you see here, beginning in verse 6, there's this call for the son to observe the ant. Go look at how the ant is doing it. Now consider yourself, consider your own ways in comparison to the ant. And so it's important that uh, and before we get into the ant stuff, it's important to, to first keep in mind that a wise person is a person who is observant of all of life. Now, there are many who live life completely unreflectively. They are people who just live on, and they don't reflect on anything. They don't ponder on anything deeper than the immediate. Yet the wise person tries to understand why certain behaviors work and other behaviors don't work. And this relates to this concept of laziness. Most people who are lazy, uh, they don't realize the state that they're in. And it's important for that individual to pull back and observe, like I'm falling behind here. Now with that in mind, uh, we see why the father tells the son to observe and consider, uh, consider the ways of the ant, right? Look again in Proverbs 6.6. 6. The wise father says, go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. In other words, he's saying, when it comes to laziness, look and observe 
at the, at the ant, right? Watch its patterns of behavior and adopt its hard-working lifestyle. And then he goes on uh, in, in verse 7, describing the ant, right? He describes him as not having like a hierarchy in its own social structure. And the fact that modern, modern scientific study has uncovered hierarchy in ant colony, I don't know if you knew that, but there is hierarchy in ant colonies. I don't know how that works, but apparently scientists have found that to be true. Aside from that, you know, I'm not sure how much the father here in Proverbs knew those things about uh, whether or not there were hierarchy in an ant colony. Uh, I, I'm not sure that information would have been available in with a Near Eastern person. It could be also that they're emphasizing the perspective of being a self-starter. Yeah. That you don't necessarily need yes. an administrator and so on. Yes. Not that it's not present. That's right. That's right. Yeah, you see, you sort of see the ant doing his own thing by himself. He's not being micromanaged by uh, the queen uh, ant, right? Yeah, and, and you're absolutely right. I think that's a good observation. It seems as if the father here is speaking in a more general sense, right? Simply pointing out the ant's self-motivated work ethic. And, of course, without the obvious social structure, ants cope pretty well, right? Now, the amazing fact is that ants, through their seemingly ceaseless labor, uh, gather enough food to carry them through the winter, right? And interestingly, uh, Proverbs 30, verse 25, you don't have to go there, but it says the ant, it says that ants are a people not strong. It says that in, in that passage, Proverbs 30, verse 25. Ants are a people not strong, yet they provide their food in the summer. It's another thing to observe about the ant. This means that their success in gathering food is really based on their diligence. Right? And this is what the wise father wants the son to consider. Right? And then we read in, uh, verse, uh, in the next three verses there, How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. And so here we see the contrast between the ant and a lazy person, right? While the ant is industrious, those who are lazy are basically ridiculed as not even getting out of bed. And as is typical of the overall teaching concerning laziness in the book of Proverbs, this section here uses hyperbole and even a little bit of satire in attempt to motivate those who are lazy to go and get, get to work, right? You see in verse 9, uh, he, he just sharply tells him, uh, how long will you just lie there, right? It, it seems like the father is giving a, a, a hypothetical scenario. He's not really speaking to anyone directly there. He's talking to his son. But he's, he's, he's giving an example of what he would tell the lazy person, right? He says there, how long will you just lie there? And then in verse 10, you see him create like an imaginary statement of a lazy person. He says there, the lazy person says, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the, of the hands to rest. This seems like a, like a motto or a song that the lazy person says to himself. Almost as if to say, 
you know, let me just get a little bit of more sleep and, and a little bit of rest and a little folding of the hands. Yet the wise person knows and he mocks because he is wise enough to recognize that slumber oftentimes is not just slumber. Like people, people don't just want sleep because they need sleep. And the same thing with food. Uh, you, you can see where there can be abuse in, in food when, when it becomes gluttony, right? Uh, nine out of ten people are not just eating for health reasons. A lot of times, I mean, some are, but some people are eating just to indulge and, and enjoy the pleasure of it. And of course, everything in moderation. But you see that uh, people have a tendency to take something like sleep and make it a lifestyle, right? The person makes it a lifestyle. Uh, Norman? Perhaps it's a, it's a subtle way to address procrastination. Like you have responsibilities and you don't think that you're capable of doing them for whatever reason. You yeah. push them off and you go, well, I'm going to go to the beach and just, you know, meditate it. So right. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that's in the scope here. And again, uh, we can tell uh, by this and just by uh, the way that things are in our society uh, and in every time, really, in history, that slumber can easily become a lifestyle for people. And I think we can relate to this reality. Many people in our culture today make it a lifestyle to avoid any kind of work, right? And, and what I mean by work is, is labor in general, not specifically like a job, uh, not like career, I'm aware that there's some unique cases where health has not allowed people to work the same way as other people. But what I mean is that there, there, there's always been people who make it a lifestyle to avoid any kind of labor in general. I remember when I was younger, and I remember when we would have guests over our house, my mother would give me a look, like with her eyes. <laughs> and, I, and I knew that she wanted me to get up out of my chair and go greet the the guests that are coming in. Uh, and, and she didn't want me to be one of those young teens who just ran into his room, locked the door, and he never came out to say hello to the guests. Right? He's locked up in his room, either playing video games, super antisocial. She didn't want me to do that. <laughs> I also remember um, when I was younger being at church, uh, and if she saw me sitting while others were helping, helping with something, like picking up tables or something like that, she would look at me, or she would tap my leg like... Right? Uh, you know, she would do that. She would do that as to say, like, you need to get up out of your chair right now uh, and help, right? <laughs> now, if I were to say to her mom, they got help already. There's a bunch of people helping. They don't need me. She would reply, like, if there's nothing to help them with, uh, I need you to still get out of your chair and find something to do, even if you make it up. Like, don't just sit there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> praise God. Amen. Uh, and, and I can see, based, you know, I can see what the point was. She didn't want me to be the man, you know, grow up to be a man that had no sense of urgency when, it, when the time came for me to have to work, right? And we see this a lot, especially with men. Some guys say they have no sense of urgency to help. And by this, I don't mean that we have to be hasty, right? I think hastiness can be an evil in a lot of cases. Uh, hastiness can come from sinful imbalances in people who desire to people please or to work for the applaud of men or applause of men. 
However, there is the other extreme, which is what I'm trying to address now. Uh, this is the individual who has no tug in his heart uh, when the moment calls him to get up and, and do something. A woman could be carrying something heavy, trying to bring it to her car. And I've seen guys just sitting there on their phone and just sitting there. And the, the, the woman is there struggling, carrying something, trying to bring it to her car. And these young guys are sitting around on their phone, uh, not doing anything about it. There's no hastiness, there, excuse me, no urgency. There's no sense like, I need to get up and go help this, this person. Uh, some even love talking about the Bible and theology, but seem to struggle lifting a finger when it comes to work. Uh, I know guys that can explain the, the inter-Trinitarian nature of God, but uh, when it comes to considering the ant, you lazy people, it's like, I need to look at the Hebrew on this one. I, I don't get that verse. I don't understand it. it it's, you know... But again, laziness is a great sin, and uh, there needs to be sort of that urgent. The scriptures call us to uh, develop that urgency again, to, to bring that back, to be more aware, uh, especially for us men. Let me get you, and then I'll get you. Yeah. Yeah, sure. No, no, you're good. You're good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're, we're, we're all prone to fall into that state of uh, laziness if we don't guard ourselves that way. So, yeah. And then uh, verse 11 uh, describes the result of, of a lazy lifestyle, which is poverty. Right? Uh, the onset of poverty is described by using similes here. And it, 
the first place, it is compared to a robber, and then secondly, it's described as an armed man. But again, both cases describe someone coming in to bring harm. And it also suggests that poverty will sneak up on the person and arrive suddenly. And again, this is serving as a warning with the hope that people who have the propensity to be lazy, this would stir them into activity. And again, it, it doesn't always result in straight poverty, right? It's not like you're rich and then, whoops, I got lazy that week and then I got poor. I mean, that could be a situation. Uh, but a lot, in a lot of ways, you see how things fall apart when, when you're not proactive and you're not working hard to sustain what you have uh, to serve the church, but also to serve your home and to do the things that the scriptures require you to do so that you can live a quiet and peaceful life as a Christian. Um, when you dr drop the ball, a lot happens, right? It's almost as if a lot of these things are just taken from under you, it sneaks up on you. And so we, we don't want that to happen in our situation because of the sin of laziness. Uh, we want to guard ourselves from that. And I think it's comforting to know as a Christian that if anything else, at least God is telling you that you can't do that and don't do that. And that should bring, in a sense, uh, some peace knowing that, look, no matter how I feel, I know God doesn't like this. This is not something that God approves and so that in and of itself should be an encouragement to you when you find yourself like slacking or getting lazy. You say, you know what? I know that my peace comes from walking with a clear conscience with God. And so I can't let this sin creep in. So, so you fight it and you'll see uh, the blessing that comes from you being a working person. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's the wisdom to know which one will yield. Yeah. What's that, pleasing to God. That's so true. Yeah. It's yeah. not easy. You know, like when you go to 80 or different places in the world, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, they don't have all of the tools that we have. Right. Um, so, you know, good point. the foundation is to just lay it out. Yeah. Like here, it's like you, you caught up in the. Yeah, nonsense. And, yeah. yeah, good point. I just say, just to add on to that, I've heard it said that we're designed to go to bed tired. Because as part of our design, that, that our design is that we, we need him. We are designed to need him. And uh, that part of it would be, instead of us vegging out and relaxing and, and, and resting ourselves, we go to bed tired and there's an element of relying on the spirit to strengthen us yeah. and, and to, to wake up resting. That's right. That's, so, that's a good, good point. Yeah. And it, I was just thinking about how the world and our culture and our society, they're offering, they're offering a, uh, an artificial kingdom of God, right? The world is giving us and presenting us the good life, right? The good life in a different way. And it's, it's, it's a competition. I mean, of course, in reality, it's really no competition, but it is trying to compete with the kingdom of God. And so the world is offering you all kinds of things to offer you Sabbath, to offer you rest, right? And, and you, you think, okay, you know what? Today I'm just going to chill. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to watch Netflix. I'm going to blah, blah, And none of these things are bad. But you can fill yourself with things that you think are promising you this, uh, this, this Sabbath, this rest, this kingdom. 
Uh, it's actually not giving you rest. Your soul is not resting in these artificial things that are not the kingdom of God. The things that the scriptures call us to do, which, which a lot of times include labor, are actually more restful for your soul than some of the things that uh, the world is offering you that promises you rest. And so, um, yeah, so consider those things and let that, um, think through that. As you think, man, I really want to rest, I'm really tired. Actually, what, what you need is maybe spiritual nourishment. Sometimes you need to put your hands to do some work. Uh, things that honor and glorify God be productive for the kingdom of God. And a lot of times that brings more rest than you just sort of laying around doing nothing. Or even on your uh, Twitter or Facebook. Um, with that said, I'm going to close out. I couldn't get to the last few verses, but I would say, um, look, as you go home, look at the remainder verses, which is 12 through 19. Uh, this is a very, very good section that talks about avoiding the company of a perverse man uh, and how, that, uh, how, how this perverse man is described. Um, how crooked his speech is, how wicked he is, and the, and the uh, counsel that the father gives there about the worthlessness of that, that type of person and, and, and why we ought to stay away from it. Um, let me go ahead and pray, and then we'll close out. Our Father, we thank you, Lord, for this passage. Thank you that you've uh, shared with us and revealed to us Wisdom that is not from man, but wisdom that is from heaven. Wisdom that is from you, that finds its origin in the God, the creator of the universe. And we are so blessed to have access to it. That your words help us in our temporal life, but also encourages us to look forward to the eternal life. Where all, all the things that you speak of in your, in your uh, wisdom counsel will find its fulfillment, its amen. Uh, its perfection in us as we are made new and glorified in that final state, uh, being able to enjoy the fruits of this wisdom in a more permanent and eternal way. And so we thank you. We look for that day. And we, we know that we gain all this through, through your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you that this is all given to us by virtue of our union with Christ. And we pray that although we practice them imperf imperfectly, pray that we learn to walk in them as we desire to look like Christ more and more and in his wisdom. We thank you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, y'all.